In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, so they picked up stones to throw at Jesus, but he hid himself and went out of the temple. John eight fifty nine. That's that's how the gospel text appointed for this day, Utica, the fifth Sunday in Lent, ends the last few words of the end of this conversation that Jesus is having with the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees in the temple. That, you probably haven't found this in your everyday life, but this will normally end a conversation whenever the crowd of people that you're talking to reaches down to pick up stones to throw at you and kill you. But what is it that gets these Jews, these Pharisees, these scribes, and these priests, all of these Jewish leaders and teachers, what is it that gets them so worked up? Why do they hate Jesus so much that they want to kill Him? There are, of course, many reasons for their hatred. First, they were jealous They saw the crowds and the people following Jesus, listening to Him instead of to them, and they were jealous of His popularity. They were greedy. Jesus was cutting into their business, especially when He would throw things around in the temple or even teaching about mercy and forgiveness, and so the people wouldn't go to buy the wares of the Pharisees. They were insulted. Jesus would often insult them. He would teach against the Pharisees. He would expose their false doctrine and their false living. And the Pharisees and and Jewish leaders were afraid. They were afraid that Jesus and his followers might be seen by the Roman rulers as a rebellion, and they would therefore discipline the Jews, bring their armies, and do a little warring. All of these things, the, the jealousy and the greed and the, and the insults and the fear stand behind the hatred and the animosity of these scribes and Pharisees. But there is something more, something more fundamental, a basic difference, a fundamental disagreement between our Lord Jesus and these leaders in the temple. And it is the root of their bitterness and anger. It's a theological difference. And it's what Jesus is talking about in our gospel text. Jesus and the Pharisees have a different doctrine, a different teaching about who God is and about what He does. And we hear it it discussed in the text under this question. Who is your Father? This is going to be the question that runs throughout this entire argument that Jesus is having in the temple. I think, though, to make any sense of the arguments that we have before us, we have to back up and get the context from, from all of John chapter 8. For, Like I said, this little section here is the very tail end of an argument that started way back in verse 12 when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The Jews accuse him at this point of being his own witness because he speaks of himself. And Jesus responds to them, among other things, that while they judge according to the flesh, he judges rightly. And further, even if he does speak of himself, 
The Father who sent him also bears witness that he is his son. The Jews respond, and they ask Jesus, Who is your father? And this is a veiled question, which will get really nasty in just a few minutes. Jesus answers, though, You know neither me nor my father. And he continues, I'm going away, and you can't follow me. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they answer back, Who are you? Jesus responds, I'm only telling you the things the Father sent me to speak. The only one, uh, the one who sent me is with me, and I am never alone. The text at this point, and this is about John chapter 8, verse 29 and 30, the text notes that many believed Jesus' word, and Jesus then speaks to them this promise. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, at this point, it seems like maybe things are going to settle down. Maybe, maybe this will be a nice conversation. Jesus will teach a little bit more about what he meant when he said, I am the light of the world and, and what it means to believe his word and follow the truth. After all, the text says that some believed what he said. But at this point, and this is verse 33, uh, things turn ugly. Uh, Jesus says... You, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And those that are there standing in oppo- opposition to Jesus say, We're Abraham's children. We've never been slaves to anybody. Jesus answers, If you sin, you're a slave to sin. You are trying to kill me because my word has no place in you. I do what my father does. You do what your father does. Jesus indicates where the argument is heading. You and me, Jesus says, have a different father. They respond to Jesus, Abraham is our father, and Jesus combats that argument by saying, if you were Abraham's children, you'd do the things that Abraham did, but now you're trying to kill me. Abraham never did that. You do the works of your father. Then they say to Jesus, and this is where the mudslinging begins, They say these words to Jesus. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. Now they're really upping the stakes. Jesus, they knew, was born of Mary before she was married, before she had a husband. Now, how the Jewish leaders knew this, we don't know. They must have been doing background checks on Jesus and all of the disciples. But they had found out this information, and they were now using it against Jesus to publicly discredit him. We were not born of sexual immorality. We were born of God. They claim that Jesus has an illegitimate birth, and their birth is heavenly. But Jesus responds to them with a matching intensity. He says this, If God were your father, you would love me, because I came from God. But you don't love me. You, says Jesus to these Jewish leaders, you are of your father, the devil. 
and you want to do what he wants to do, namely to kill me. You have nothing to do with the truth because your father, the devil, is the father of lies. And so when I tell you the truth, you don't believe me because you are given over only to lies. And this is where our text picks up. The text that we heard a few minutes ago, beginning with verse 46, where Jesus asks, Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason that you do not hear the word, my word, is because you are not of God. Have you got it now? This is a very, very intense text, both packed with packed with theology, but also packed with emotion. If you and I were to walk into the room, they were having this argument in the treasury of the temple. And if you and I were going to pay our bill, you know, our temple tax or whatever, and we were to walk into this argument, it would have been it would be one of those situations where you feel a little bit uncomfortable. You're ready for violence to break out at any point. I mean, the, the people are angry at each other, and, there's, and there's, you can see the intensity on their face and the spit coming off of their lips as they argue. People are giving them space. Someone says, do you think we should go call the, the temple guard to break this sort of thing up? It looks like it's about to get violent, and it is. Because Jesus has exposed their lies and their falsehood. He said, look it, you want to kill me because you are of your father, the devil, who also wants to kill me. I am teaching the truth, the truth about who I am and about what I have come to do. And these teachers hate the truth. What is this truth, though, that Jesus teaches? The first is the truth of who he is. That he is the very Son of God. Three times in this chapter 8, Jesus says, Ego eimi. That's Greek. It means, I am. They are the very words that God spoke in Hebrew from the burning bush. When Moses said, Who will I tell the people is sending me? And, And God says from the burning bush, I am who I am. Tell them the I am sent you. So Jesus says it three times. I am the I am, very God of very God. And the Jews understood this very well. For even in his trial, when they were accusing Jesus of blasphemy, they said that he called himself the Son of God, making himself equal to God. Jesus claims to be the Son of God, and He is. But these Jewish teachers and scribes can't stand that teaching. But there's more than this. It's not just about who Jesus is. It is about what he does. For here is a man who claims to bear the name of God, and look at what he's doing. He eats with sinners. He speaks with tax collectors and prostitutes. He he reaches out and touches lepers. He forgives sins. He sits down with Samaritans and with Gentiles and he speaks constantly of the love and the mercy of his heavenly Father. Surely he cannot be God. For God in the mind and heart of the Pharisee is demanding, exalted, powerful, and clean. And this Jesus is lowly in the flesh 
for crying out loud. He's dirty. He's unclean. He's weak. He's suffering. He, by all accounts, is the very opposite of the Pharisees' God. How can he be God, they must have thought. He is nothing. He is the I am who is not. It was blasphemy in their minds for Jesus to claim to be God's son, for he had nothing, and they would prove that his teaching was wrong by handing him over to death. For if, if he would die, his claim would forever be silenced, for how could the Son of God die? So they take up stones to kill him. A few months later, they would take up the entire Roman government to kill him. So these two competing theologies combat with each other and fight against each other, and it is a fight even to the death. But, dear saints, I'm afraid that so far this sermon is a bit dangerous for us. Maybe the text is dangerous for us because there's a danger for us sitting here, a danger for myself, a danger of thinking, boy, those Jewish teachers were real creeps. I'm glad I'm not like them. If you were so good, then Jesus would never have had to die, would he? If we were so holy that this text did not also condemn us, then Jesus wouldn't have to have had to suffer for us. Here we are, after all, in the middle of Lent, the first day of Passiontide, where we consider with reverent focus more than any other time of the year the suffering and death of our dear Lord Jesus. And in all of this, we have to see that our God is not who we expect Him to be. He comes to us not exalted, not in power, not in strength, but in lowliness in humility, in suffering, in our flesh and in our sin and in our death on the cross. It is when we see the cross, Jesus dying on the cross, that we behold our God and we know the right doctrine. We know his teaching, who he is and what he does. I often make it the practice of asking new confirmation classes, children and adults too, on the first day, to, to write down an explanation of God using three words. And there's a lot of good answers. There's a lot of bad answers. But the answers are normally something like this. God is loving and holy and strong. God is good and gracious and perfect. Things like this. You could do your own right now. Tell me after church. They're all true. But if you want to really, really get to the heart of things, if you want to get a handle and see the very heart and mind of the Almighty God, then these are your three words. These words. Jesus, Christ, crucified. Jesus, Christ, crucified. This is our God. 
Not coming to us in strength to destroy us. Not coming in glory to judge us. But coming in weakness and in death to save us. The devil has a different theology. In fact, his theology is anything but this. Any thought that God's not in your flesh, that he's not in your death, that he's not in your sin, that he's not in your grave. This is the doctrine of the devil and his children. But, dear saints, it is not ours. We behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. When we hear the history of our Lord Jesus' suffering and death, when we hear his last words echoing from the cross, when we hear of him being laid in the tomb, we are not simply learning of the last hour of a man's life. We are learning the eternal heart of our Heavenly Father, the God who loves us and who will spare absolutely nothing so that he might have us and forgive us and save us from death and hell so that we would be his in eternal life. If anyone, says Jesus, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Amen. May we, by his Holy Spirit, keep and treasure his word, who he is, and what he has done. And may we find in his doctrine, in his teaching, the promise of our eternal life. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.